0: Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church, or to support the mission financially, head over to SCOG.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18 should be towards the middle of your bible if you are flipping with the old style paper bible uh first kings chapter 18 this is one of the most the neatest passages in the scripture uh i say that about like every time i preach by the way i just love the bible okay if you haven't got picked that on the, up on that yet well i do um but i this whole series is really kind of picking into the most action packed fun stuff going on in the scripture First Kings 18, we get a superhero moment. We get this moment, I think, that we all kind of identify with, or at least any of us who watch cartoons. Um, anybody who read a, a comic book uh, growing up, this is the moment in which you see it and you're like, yes! Why doesn't that happen all the time? So, uh, we're talking today about a guy named Elijah. And Elijah is one of the biggest names and most influential people in the Old Testament. You got Moses, you got Elijah, you got King David. These are really the, the big boys of the Old Testament. And uh, Elijah is probably a couple hundred years after King David, uh, so probably about six 700 years before Jesus. But he's a, a big deal. And so the nation of Israel is, already, is split into two different countries. They have fallen into all kinds of different uh, sin, pagan issues. They really have a problem with worshiping uh, Baals and Astropoles. Which has all these different uh, fertility stuff going on is really really nasty, and that's where we find ourselves in in First Kings eighteen. Elijah has challenged the uh, prophets and prophetesses of Baal and Astra to kind of a uh, WrestleMania five hundred or whatever, and he says, "All right, me versus all of you. This is what's going down." And they're so they're they're building up to this thing, in First Kings eighteen, Elijah is a little cocky in what he's going on. He trusts in the Lord, and he basically baits these uh, priests and priestesses into uh, this God duel. And at the end of it, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. <laughs> it's this awesome, you know, pyrotechnic thing going on, and uh, and then. He, uh, he also says, you know what? Uh, it hasn't rained for three years. I'm going to have it rain now. And so he prays for rain, and God sends a cloud. It starts raining. And, you know, if I think about the old, and I would like the inverse of that prayer right now, uh, to stop with the rain already. Um, but um, so there's all these just supernatural, he prayed for this, and this happened, he prayed for that, and this happened, and he's amazing and victorious, and then he gets done with all the, the pyrotechnics, and he goes, and he uh, whoops all of the, the priests and priestesses. He kills like 500 priests that day, um, often not reported in your Sunday school curriculum, but that's what goes on. And so Elijah just goes crazy on it. Um, you've got this, this really like you know John Wick moment of uh, what's happening there in the Old Testament. And so um, you get this huge victory of Elijah. You get this huge victory of Elijah. He is defeated all the enemies of God, just brought them down. He's shown definitively to the country on Mount Carmel that Yahweh is better than Baal and Ashtra. He is the supreme God. Quit worshiping the other gods because they're stupid and powerless and Yahweh is the powerful God. That's what he was going for in this moment. It's this complete and utter victory. And today I want to talk about Elijah leaving a legacy of victory. Elijah leaves a legacy of victory, and in that, we see um, some, some issues start to crop up pretty quickly. Elijah, in his story, has two distinct different victories. One of them is the big, flashy, amazing you know, thing. The other one that we can identify with a whole lot more, because I don't know about you, but I haven't called any fire from heaven lately. God hasn't blessed me with that, that, that ability to say, hey, God, can we have some fire here? No, nope, that's not my, not my deal. The second victory he has, though, I have a lot more access to, I think. It's a victory over depression. It's a victory over loneliness. It's a victory over frustration. Now, I, when I can identify with a whole lot more, right? Maybe, maybe you guys identify more with the fire calling. I don't know, but, but I personally identify more with the feeling of loneliness and, and, and deprivation that Elijah goes through. Because after this huge victorious moment, Elijah's like, now, surely the people will turn. The king and queen will go, you're right. We were stupid. We're coming back to Yahweh. The exact opposite happens. The exact opposite. And so Elijah goes to this moment where uh, king, uh, Queen Jezebel sends a runner to him after he's killed all these people and after all this stuff's happened and the, the fire has fallen from heaven and says, oh, you will be dead within a day. And she sits, sits, sits sins is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Uh, sins her goon hit squad after him. And so this hit squad is, is chasing Elijah down. And what Elijah does in response, he, he hears this and he just panics. Here he is on the the literal mountaintop experience, the highest spiritual high you possibly could ever have. I just called fire down from heaven. God granted that prayer and what? But then all of a sudden that twist happens. Where Ahab, who's a goofy king, Elijah stole all my priests and killed them all. And, And Jezebel goes, oh, no, he didn't. And sends the goon squad after. And so in this moment, when, she gets this, when he gets this message, his heart just breaks. They don't get it. I'm the only one. What can I do? If I called fire from heaven, what, what's the point of this? And so he goes from his highest of highs in the dissension of lowest to lows in a matter of hours. Right? Right? <laughs> No one here has ever experienced anything like that before, right? You have this huge victory, and then all of a sudden, everything comes crashing down. Maybe, maybe you can relate with, you just got the job, and then this happened. Or you just got this, and then that happened. Or you thought this was happening, and actually, everything was eroding underneath you. Right? You just bought this house, and then you found out there's termites. You, you, whatever it is... Um, like oh, that happens all the times in our, in our lives. We, oh, we got a good report from the doctor on this, and there's a car wreck on the way home. That, things like this happen. So Elijah is in that moment, and his response is he runs. He just runs, and he runs for about seventeen miles down the mountain. so he's just ch- cruising. Um, so what we've got here Kevin. Do you have the pictures? Did they get put in? Sweet. Kevin uh, Dehoff is sick this morning, and I didn't know if all my my special pictures got done. Could you put the picture? Yes, the picture of Mount Carmel up. It should be the first one. Nope, the other one. Sorry. I could have done with anything. They're not going to know. So, anyway, (laughs) this is Mount Mount Carmel. You're actually on Mount Carmel right now. And um, this is at the highest part in Israel, uh, very up at the top. And it is the nicest place in uh, Israel, honestly. Uh, the valley of uh, uh, Megiddo, or where Armageddon's supposed to be fought, is right on the other side of that, that hill. Um, it's the nicest place. If you buy roses at Valentine's Day for your wife or your significant other, you actually buy them from the valley of Megiddo. So you're giving Armageddon roses to uh, people uh, in, in February. Fun little thought. I just wanted to let you know that. That's, that's uh, Israel's like second biggest export is roses. that? Okay. Um, so there you go. It's not part of the message. You just got that for free. Um, so, so this is Mount Carmel. You're basically on Mount Carmel. And so he just books it. He's just running down the mountain. Just I'm done. I'm out. And he's running for about 17 miles. He starts running and it's really a downhill slope all the way down. So yes, I couldn't run like one mile right now, but 17 miles. It says he like, he takes his, uh, his robe and kind of tucks it in. It's a goofy way of doing it, but when they're girding up your loins, what happens is you take your stuff and you start tucking everything under your belt. And so you look like you have a diaper on and you're, you're running to get the robe out of your, uh, your way. And so he's, he's doing that and he's just running. I I don't know if you guys have ever exercised when you've had a terrible, bad, no good day. Kelly, when she was in high school, whenever she would have a problem and she just couldn't get processed the stuff, she'd just start running. She'd just start running. So if you start seeing Kelly be in amazing shape, oh, she is, Jared is really screwing up at home. It's probably what's going on. Uh, But no, that's just how she processes her feelings is she just goes for a run and, and tries to clear her head. Some of you may may or may not do that. I wish I did. It would be a lot better than eating all the carbs that I can find. But Elijah, in this moment, he runs. See, to understand victory, we have to understand loss. To understand what it means to win, you have to understand what it means to lose. Winning something doesn't mean that much. Right now, if Golden State Warriors win the basketball championship, is anyone really going to care except the people that live in San Francisco? I'm like, yeah, you got 18 all-stars on your team. Congratulations. Right? Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But if, if they lost this year, be like, oh, now they come back next year and they would play with a vengeance because of that. I think you saw that when, uh, when they lost a couple years ago. But to understand victory and what it tastes like and what it is, you have to experience the loss. We have to understand that things don't always go our way. We, we try to shelter our kids from this sometimes, I think. Right? We, we go, oh, I don't want them to go through that pain, except they need to go through that pain to understand how to overcome that pain. I have two teams right now. I have an in-house baseball team and a, in a uh, travel baseball team, or part-time travel team. I've got to be very careful how I define that. Uh, one has a perfect record. The other one has a perfect record. One has won every game. One has lost every game. Okay? We are teaching two totally different things with these two teams. Problem is, Bowen's on one, on both of them. He's understanding, like, <laughs> he's learning all kinds of things. But you don't understand how fun it is. We got kids, it's their first year ever playing on my in-house team. They've never lost a game. They think baseball is easy. <laughs> right? And they are. They are going to be, like, that. we almost lost. We won our last three games in the the sixth inning. Our last three games. I'm losing my hair fast enough. I don't need these kids to help me. All right? It's it's all this. I had to take them apart. Hey, guys, we might lose this game. I think we can win, but we might lose this game. I don't want any tears. We've got to process that. Losing's okay. Because they they put so much pressure on themselves. I've got to win every time. I don't even know what it means to lose. Chill out. Another team is like, don't get down on yourself. You can do this. We can win. You're teaching two totally different things. Without understanding victory, you can't understand victory totally if you don't have a loss. And I feel like in some of our, we're taught so much that if we're having victory, if God loves us, everything's going okay, that we won't lose, that we won't have hardships in our life. Here is a man, Elijah, who understands what it means to call fire from heaven. And he experiences a devastating loss. And in this and how he processes that, we start to see what victory really can look like. See, when we think we're lost, God chases. Elijah has booked it for 17, 18 miles to Beersheba. He's booked it. He finds a broom bush, the scripture says. Um. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself uh, went, still went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. I have no idea what a broom bush is. Probably something that you get brooms from. Um, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. You're having a bad day when you're praying that you're going to die. I had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Wah. First of all, Elijah, you just killed 500 people. You should be dealing, you know, um, you got some other things to to deal with and just, you know, God didn't do everything you wanted to do. When he's under this bush, at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord a second time touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. Strengthened by what the food, he traveled forty days and forty nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to the cave and spent the night. Okay, Mount Horeb was the first picture that we were gonna put on there, Kev. And Mount Horeb is actually Mount Sinai. They're, the terms are used uh terms are used interchangeable. We think this is Mount Sinai. Um, don't really know? Uh, it's controlled by Egypt and they won't let archeologists uh, up on it um to see if there is there's some mountains around there that have this is very interesting um they have ancient the first archaeological recognition of the of the word um el which is an ancient precursor to elohim which is yahweh it goes by both names in the bible is in, found in the in silver mines in this mountain which could the really neat thing part of that is um that we when the Israelites were here uh, pre, um, during their slavery, they were kind of kept here before it got really bad and they started building things out of bricks and straw. They were probably used as slaves to mine the silver out of these things. So out of the very mountain that they were used as slavery is the same mountain that God used to set them free and give them the Ten Commandments and, and do all that. This is pretty, pretty <coughs> a reversal of, hey, you once were a slave here. Now I make you my people here. You, that's Pretty cool stuff. You get all tingly when you start thinking about that. At least I do. Um, So this is Mount Sinai. He's running to Mount Sinai. He's running to Mount Horeb. That is where he is headed. But I want to call our attention to verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Now, I don't know if you need, I think you need to underline that in your Bible you need to, to highlight it, whatever you need to do, you need to write it. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. When we try to do these things on our own, when we try to have victory over stuff like anxiety and depression and, and loneliness by ourselves, guess what? The journey is too much for us. But when we allow God to be our sustenance, when we allow God to feed us whatever that may look like, feed us in a time of our need with friendship or with uh, care or, However, that uh, a that, uh, shoulder to cry on, whatever that looks like, we get to go on that journey. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I can't do it by myself. I have to rely on God and his sustenance. Whether you're dealing with sick loved ones, whether you're dealing with a marriage, whether you're dealing with kids, whether you're dealing with jobs, whatever it is, get up and eat, because the, the journey is too much just for you. It's not too much for me, being God. It's not too much for, for God. It's too much for you. And when we understand that it's too much for us by ourselves is when we start, we turn the corner on having victory. Because once we're so consumed with ourselves, only I can do this. I've got to put it on my shoulders. I've got to make all the right choices. I've got to carry it. I've got to do all this stuff. That just leads into a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the performance based anxiety, crazy control, anger issue stuff that just happens. And when we say, the journey is too much for me, I've got to partake of God. And so he eats. drinks, and he goes for 40 days into the desert. He's traversing the whole history of Israel. Um, I'm backwards here. Mount Carmel is at the very north part of Israel. Mount Sinai is on the Sinai Peninsula, actually probably pretty far down on the Sinai Peninsula. It's all the way down here. It's a long trip. It's not a fun trip. It's desert two-thirds of the way. And that's where he's going. But I think there's something beautiful that's happening here. He's going from a place that that God is is known in Mount Carmel where he saw God, but he's he's lost this connection. He he feels like God didn't show up or maybe God isn't protecting him. He feels alone. He feels uh, distraught in this moment. And so where he is headed is to a place he knows God has been faithful before. It's Mount Sinai. It's where the Ten Commandments were brought down. It's where the basis of the whole Hebrew religion comes from. He goes there and he hides himself in a cave on Mount Sinai. There's a lot to be taught to us in that. And when we feel the moment of defeat, when we feel the crush of loss, when we hurt to hide ourselves in a place we know God has been before. I've met him here before and he'll meet me again here. Whether that's, oh, I, I talk to people a lot about journaling, whatever's going on. I'm terrible at journaling, but I know it's powerful. I go back 10, 15 years and read a journal entry. and I'm like, oh my goodness, what a naive, goofy boy that was. But look how God showed up. I thought that was such a huge problem, but look how God showed up. Oh, I thought my life was over, but God showed up. I thought I'd never be a pastor again, but God showed up. I had no idea how to be a dad, but then God showed up. Still have no idea how to be a dad. And in these moments, we start to see where we have been victorious in the past and how we are going to be victorious now and how God will be faithful for us to be victorious in the future. Elijah had lost hope, and God provided. Elijah had come to the end of himself. He had been full of pride and full of, oh, look what we did. We called. I mean, how could you not be prideful? You called fire from heaven. I'm telling you, I'd be a little like, touch me twice. Fire from heaven. And then he loses all that pride and goes into a spiral of depression. And that's where God says, you know what, buddy? I haven't given up on you. I'm here for you. I still provide for you. When he's in the cave, the word of the Lord comes to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love it. I wish, I hope you guys can hear that the next time you're in a pity party. Like, let's just be honest. We all get the pity parties, right? When next time you're in a pity party and you're sitting there and you're crying and you're whining, I've had some of these lately. And I just want to, I hope your ears will be open to hear God say, what are you doing here, Kelsey? What are you doing here, Tom? What are you doing here, Tammy? What are you doing? Cranky. No, I love you, right? I, I want to hear that. I want you to fix it. All right. Hold on a second. This is what Elijah's doing, basically. All right. I see you. Oh, you think you're, oh, yeah, you're the only one ever to hurt. You're the only one ever to have some problems. Yep. You do realize these are my people that keep on, it's not about you. They, they, they're rejecting me. You, you understand? You don't understand that. Oh. So tell me how you created the world. And they rejected you. Tell me how they, you did everything for them. and Gave them honey and manna and everything, and they rejected you. Oh, what? Oh, it is about me. Okay, okay, buddy. You just see that that, that interplay going on here with Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah has this moment where he just lays it all out. He starts whining to God. He says, you didn't do this. They want to kill me. I'm the only one left. And you've had that same prayer to God. I'm the only one. I had it this week. And he says, all right, buddy, when we lose our pride, victory is close. When we finally just bear it to God. God can handle our whining, by the way. I I just want to be very clear with that. God can handle, what he wants is us, unfettered, unsheltered, unshielded. He wants the true us. So if that comes out, a snotty, whiny little two-year-old, you know what? He's okay with that. Because at the end of us acting like a snotty, whiny little two-year-old, we climb up his own lap and say, hold us. Very aware of a snotty, whiny little two-year-old right now. Got one. And we lose our pride. Victory is close. And so this is how God reacts to it. The same way like a, a great father or mother would, is Alright, here we go. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountain tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? And this is this moment of honesty. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, uh, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Maloha, to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah comes face to face with God. He says, you're not alone. There are others with you. I am with you. You're not only, not the only one, but your job is to go anoint your successors. That you have a role to play, that you're supposed to mentor, you're supposed to to pull alongside, you're supposed to. There's a whole new generation in which you're going to be empowering to change the world. You're not alone. There's seven thousand of you. Victory comes. Victory with God means admitting you need others. You don't have to do it by yourself. God shows them there's other people out there. And he shows us there's other people out there. We had a beautiful example. Um, uh, Jimmy Musson passed away this week. And we had a funeral on Friday for him. And the, the really neat thing, which Coy has talked about like four or five times to me, was that the row right behind the family was all Shorewood people. It was the whole Bible study. It is the perfect example. In a moment in which you feel so heartbroken, in a moment in which you feel so hurt, that you're not alone. Just look around. You've got people with you of your back. That's beautiful. That's what we do. But isn't it so easy in those moments to just feel totally isolated? And people come, whatever you need, I'll be there. And you're like, um. right? and you should keep on sheltering. You're like, whatever you need, I will be there. Right? Victory with God means admitting you need others. Victory with God means changing our behavior. That Elijah has to pull himself out of this hole he's literally dug himself in and go get on mission. For some of you that are struggling with, with, with the feelings of, of, of overwhelmness in this moment, it's time for you to pick yourself up. Know that God has said, the journey's too much for you, but I am with you. Now here's your mission. Go and do this. Go and develop. Go and love. Go and care for. Go and mentor. You've got a mission. You're not done yet. God is saying, I have an adventure for you, something new, something beautiful. It may not look like what you had planned for your life. It's something greater. Today, some of you are hidden under a broom bush. Don't make the mistake of staying there. Because if he just would have not been so whiny and not be able to hear the voice of God and not wanted to take the next steps, he never steps into what this whole story. He never gets to hear the, God's voice because he just under the broom bush. And there's a danger, isn't there? There's a danger when we lose in life to go wallow in it and stay under the broom bush. Today I want you to hear God's voice to say, go eat. The journey's too much for you. But I'm with you. And I love you. And there's something more for you. This morning as we pray and the band comes up, I just want to think about what it means at our lowest of lows or our highest of highs to submit ourselves to God. What it means to say, God, I'm going through some stuff right now and I'm pretty hard, uh, pretty hard-hearted. I'm pretty hurt. I'm pretty devastated in this moment. But maybe what I need to do in this moment is to submit my life to you. So yeah, I know I had plans and they got uprooted. And I know I had things and they got uprooted. I know I had a, a five-year, 10-year, 15-year plan and that doesn't look like it's gonna happen anymore. Maybe what we need to do is calm down enough To lay our lives in front of God. To wait out through the rushing wind. To wait out through the earthquake. To wait out out through the fire and listen for the still small voice of God. He loves you and He has a plan for you plans to prosper you, plans to grow with you. An opportunity for you to have a life that you've never thought possible before. That you can find the victory. Yes, sometimes in the showy, but even victory, the more profound victory and the victory over the losses, through those losses. Just look at this scripture. Today when I started preaching about Elijah, I bet even if you've never come to church before, you probably heard an allusion to the still small voice of God. That's in that. That's what you've heard. The pyrotechnics. In the, in, the, in the cloud raining and all that stuff, you're going, ah, I may have heard about that. But every single person in here has known about the still, small voice of God. That's where that comes from. The, the victory that made history was the one out of loss, not the showy one. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this moment, and thank you for this time. God, I ask you to... Reorient our lives. I know some of us in this room right now are going through so much pain, hurt, frustration. All we want to do is is stay in bed in the morning or just cry it out. Some of us need to let go some of the rage that's been building in our hearts. Lord, I know we're, we're coming all kinds of different gamuts in that, all all along the spectrum. Some of us are doing fantastic. Lord, that we would just see how we can have victory in you through all the different grades of loss. Whether that's family issues or work issues. Whether that's future issues or future plans or disappointment we have with our children. God, that you would meet us. That we would hear your voice. That we would change our ways so that we can experience victory in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for joining us at church this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.